is that fine compliment of how I feel unworthy to accept this, but I have the humility I hope that I'll never deceive anyone and I'll always can keep this friendship of God's people everywhere. It's by that that I can minister to you. I guess somebody's seen a minister just shaking my hand then with with a joyful hand grip. He was just telling me that one of his members, that all the best doctors around Cleveland Hospital sure could do nothing tumor in the head. And something had happened to her for the time of life, you know what I mean. Had been with her for six years, and the other night in the meeting, God healed that tumor of her head. She went home, and the it's a strange, thank it not strange before this audience, but I'm his dear brother. The ministering period, which had not been for six years, happened that night, began right back again, regular again. Oh, he is the Lord Jesus. That's right. His power is here. After all the doctors have given her up, nothing to be done. But now, God has healed her. And you know what? Those tumors in the head go, it's become malignant as cancer is what it is. And it's a girl that becomes malignant and soon bursts through and kills the patient right away. But God is our Savior. And I was looking this afternoon around upon this tent in the audience. It just reminds me of days gone by when we used to have the old gospel tents filled up and the people praying way back in the days. I used to read when Finney and Wesley and Sankey Moody and all of those used to have meetings and the people gather around on an old tent. Won't it be wonderful when we meet them again? Oh, my, what a time. Last night and today has been very glorious to me loose from under the anointing so that I could uh, preach and to and to speak to the people. And today I was to tell my life story. And last night I just had a glorious time within myself. The Holy Spirit was blessing me. And today I had a one home last night and had a glorious night's rest. Never woke up till about eight thirty this morning. I feel good today, and I'm sure tonight's going to produce a great meeting for us all. To get to meet these minister brothers, the greatest privileges I have is to get with God's people of the things of this earth, is to get to meet fine ministers. Yes, Brother Gordon, this has been one of the smallest audiences we've had for this much time, but it's been one of the sweetest meetings of just cooperation and everything. Wonderful. So we're thanking God for this and pray that God will send Cleveland an old-fashioned revival to this week throughout the entire country. That's right. God bless you all. It's been my privilege to minister as much as I could to all that possibly could get into the lines as much as I was permitted to stand at the platform. Many, many testimonies are coming in. Three or four cases of paralyzing, sitting paralyzed in chairs and things. Most of them called right from here. I see what's happening. Then when God heals, you wouldn't expect me to tell a man or woman to stand up and walk or something. If God had shown me he was healed, he could not stand up and walk. But when God showed me that they're healed, they're bound to walk. Because God said so, and I wouldn't say it until God told me. And then when he tells me 
But what I tell you to do, you do it and be assured that I'm speaking from the Master. That's right. I'll never tell you nothing unless it's so. Now, if you want to turn it down when I tell you, you want to refuse it, well, that's up to you and God. But if you, if he tells me anything to tell you, well, I'll, I'll tell you right from the platform. And then God will, you just follow what I told you to do, and I'll assure you by the word of God that God will bring it out. And you, you'll be all right. Now, we're very happy that everything's coming along just fine. I don't have much chance to talk to you like this, but people came in with taking some pictures out there. I got to shake their hands and things. I would love to do that, to shake people's hands and meet them. And some of them were little old girls along there, little old boys and girls, little old fat, chunky things. Uh, this autograph and they over in San Jose, just in Sweden, there where you go, they all want your autograph. You know, I love to do that. There, that's God's man of tomorrow, and those little children. I just love the little fellows. I got to talk to him out there a few moments ago. He's very, very happy to get to do so. And for pictures and things, oh, I just love to think. Yeah, I was talking to my wife not long ago about something like that and how God is blessed and how I love people and to give me the opportunity to get to meet them. It's fine. And now, uh, just a little statement here that I wanted to make was asked me a few days ago. It's concerning some things here at the tent and about our situation, how we're set up and how we operate. I might go into that just for a moment so that it would be clear before everyone's mind. Uh, personally, myself, and owning things and property, I own nothing. The only thing that I have is what clothes that I have and an automobile that some people gave me because my old Ford was backslidden, oh my, and all the I couldn't get from place to place, and they bought me a 49 car and gave it to me, which I greatly appreciate, and it never is used for nothing else but the gospel. I dedicated it for that. A few years ago, I lived the seven years of my married life in a, a two-room shack, and it was very, very poor. And I was in Calgary, Canada, where we've had many, many thousands of great signs. One person is third Canada, so they drove 3,000 miles in a taxi cab just to get to the services. 3,000 miles in a taxi cab. And uh, the pay sometimes to be as many as 20 and 30 ambulances lined all around. He couldn't even get near the place hardly for the place. Having a glorious meeting, and my wife and babies at home were in this little cabin shack that we lived in. We only had to pay just a few dollars a month rent. We couldn't afford it. Now that's right. I never took up. I tried to take one offering in my life. And I failed on that. I, I never wouldn't let me do it. I worked and pastored the Brown Tabernacle of Jeffersonville, which is an interdenominational institution. I worked every day, sometimes with a pick and shovel, sometimes on patrol, sometimes in line work, and so forth. Worked 12 years and passed the church and never received one penny, not one cent. I was able to work. I thought if I've got anything against anyone, a minister, he should live for the gospel. But I was young, I was healthy, why shouldn't I work and not be an obligation to people? Not because that they wouldn't do it, they would be glad to do it, but I just 
got life, the rest of them worked, and I worked also. So I worked and, and paid my tithing by the church. I believe in tithing. Uh, God has blessed us to me millions of times, and I never would take up offerings. I told you the other day how I tried to take up my first offering. Why and I would get a tough spot where we couldn't make the ends meet. Uh, many of you know what I'm talking about. So uh, I told her, I said, well, I'll just take up an offering over church. She said, well, I'm coming over to watch you do it. And she sat down on the back a little piece from me. And all the time my heart was failing, I just kept uh, talking around different things. I said, oh, I forgot. I said, I got to take up an offering tonight on myself. I said, it's a weird, I need to ask you, but I've got a snag that I can't get through. And I looked around and blessed her heart. I think some of them think here the second room was right there. And I had to look steady to my right and a little old mother with one of those old ham, I guess, or whatever kind of clothes. I don't know if it's not good as women wear. So little old dresses on, you know. She had little pockets beneath her apron. And she went down there like my grandma used to have. She brought out one of the little long pocket books, you know, what you snap over the top. She's reaching out after those nickels, and I look at that, oh, my. <laughs> that would haunt me as long as I lived if I took that. I couldn't do that. And the deacon, I went and got my hat, and was going to pass the hat. I looked at that, and my fellow big lump come up my throat, and I said, now look, I was just teasing you. I said, I didn't mean that. I said, I just wanted to see what you would say. And my wife looked at me, and we really had an obligation, it had to be that. But... You know what? I had an old bicycle over home, and I went and stole that old bicycle, and we got to meet the obligation that had to take up the offering and trouble. So I never want myself tied to any earthly thing. I want to be free where I can study the Word of God. Now, concerning the tent here, the tent does not belong to me, or none of the equipment belongs to me. It belongs to the Voice of Healing, uh, inter-evangelical paper, which is published at Shreveport. A little paper. The paper once was mine. When I started, we, the ministers kept telling me that you need a paper to carry your articles in. And, well, I told Brother Lindsay, was one who was very much interested in that, I said, Brother Lindsay, all right, we'll start it. And I, one day while in training, God gave me this, the name, the title, Voice of Healing. And we ran back with my minister, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, and so forth, and so I gave it the name of Voice of Healing. I stayed so long on the platforms and things until I had to take an eight months rest. I was off the field when they thought that I would leave the world. You've heard the story of that. And uh, while I was gone, while some of the other ministers that were followed on behind my ministry was going ahead praying for the sick, and they were carrying articles and so forth, so the suggestions made that we make it an inter-evangelical paper and uh, just not have any representing any one certain man. And that's the way I like to see things. I don't want things to look as to myself. I want it for the church of the living God, for everybody. You know, uh, Jacob built three wells. One well, they drove him away, and he called it strife. And another one, it was malice, I believe, or hatred or something. He dug the third well, and he said, there's room for us all. So I think that's what it is now. There's room for us all. Way down in Kentucky, the little old missionary Baptist church, we used to sing a song, Room, Room, Yes, There Is Room, There's Room at the Fountain for Me. Did you ever hear of it? It's a little old song, and that's what it is. Brother Lindsay, then, taking the paper and made it a, a non uh, uh, 
non-profit uh, organization of the paper representing all the ministers of the land who carry a divine healing ministry that's living the right kind of life and above reproach. But Lindsay looks into those things. And then my, he wanted to make me prayers of the other. <laughs> he wanted to give me what more, but I said, Brother Lindsay, I want to be just just in the paper, that's all. And make my articles the smallest one in the paper. If nothing else, the itinerary, so the people know where I'm at. That'll be all that's necessary. I don't want one thing of the paper, but sell it in the meetings and do what you want to for I'm or anything that represents God. And the little paper does. It's a very fine little paper. Then the tenth problem was named and overseen. First thing, it comes by inspiration. Our auditoriums would get, say, two or three nights had to leave. Some cities, dear Christian people, crying and begging, we had no place to go. Brother Moore, crossing the bridge at Little Rock one morning from the meeting, where many great signs and wonders were being done, Brother Moore had inspiration that the Lord told him to build a tent. Brother Moore went out and had this tent built by Brother Welch in Pensacola, Florida. While there, overseas, Brother Moore is a businessman, as many of you know him, he's a contractor. He allowed a half a million dollar job while he was gone to some more people come back, found himself broke. And there he was, he couldn't take the tent. Then it fell to the hands, me, I have nothing. And so it, it fell to the hands of Brother Lindsay to save the, the, the tent. He goes and buys the tent himself and puts it in the name of the voice of healing. Therefore, the tent does not belong to me or any certain person. It belongs to the voice of healing. And I just pay rent on it while I'm here. Everywhere I go, I pay rent. I'd rather, I like auditoriums, have nothing against auditoriums, but if this tent is going to be used for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the tent rent's cheaper than an auditorium. But I would rather pay $300 a day extra for the tent to know that the tent was going to be used for preaching the gospel and to pay the auditoriums for the sponsor dances and everything else for the world. I'd rather do that. So anything to, therefore, if the tent could be mine if I wish for it, but it's not that. Brother Lindsay's a very fine man to work with. Brother Lindsay, Brother Hall, Brother Baxter, all those men are very fine. But then the people made up a donation to buy me a home. They built me a little five-room house. The day when I walked into it, I looked up there and I seen it. I'd always been a pilgrim. Never had a brand, never owned nothing. We were vagabonds. And I, I looked at that uh, little house, and I said, Lord, I'm not worthy to walk into it. I knelt down to the gate and took my wife with one hand, little boy the other, and I said, Father, I thank you. As long as you let me live, I'll remember everyone that's putting a penny on this. But I said, now, I, I won't have it for myself, or when I leave, let it go to your ministry. And their little church had no parsonage, and I went out and gave it to the little church. And it belongs to the church. It doesn't belong to me. I live there. When I go, another minister will step in. It will still be used for God. It can't be sold for nothing else but go for the church. The church property was given to me. The city, when I had my first revival, just about what's here this afternoon, just about the crowds that we would have for revival, the city built the, the tabernacle and gave it to me, and I turned it over to a group of people and made uh, not an organization, but just an uh, incorporation out of it, so I own nothing of this world. Nothing but what people give me. And that is clear now. Everyone knows that what it is, I, I appreciate it, and every 
and so forth, uh, we turn right straight back into the gospel work and try to live just as cheap as I can. When I go to the cities, I don't look for big hotels. The cheapest one I can find is what I want. See? I want to be just as poor as everyone that comes to me to be prayed for. That's right. If I accepted the money that's offered me, I'd be a modern millionaire. I had one man out of California, after his wife had a cancer of the breast, they had to fly quickly because they thought she was dying. And when that cancer left her, the window curtain rolled up tight like that before hundreds of little Armenians and let down like that. And the demon power left the woman and the doctor said she couldn't live till morning. And now she's a well woman of the day walking around. And that man owned that part of that big Mission Bell winery thing and sent me a, a, a check bank draft for a million five hundred thousand dollars. And I refused to put my hands on it. Look at it. The bastards that brought it to me, I said, no, sir, I don't want to see it. So Reverend Brandon, it was sent to me. I said, I do not want to see it. I don't want nothing to do with money. When a man gets his mind on money, he loses God. That's right. That's right. You can't keep your mind on. you got to be. Here's three things I've noticed in the reading of other ministers. If this ever gets a hold of a minister, it's got me. There's a weak spot. Money, women, popularity. That's right. Dodge the very appearance of it. That's right. For money, I care not for it. I've got a little fat wife here that I think is the sweetest woman in the world. That's right. That's right. She's all I've ever cared for. And some little children. When I was a sinner, I lived clean. And when I'm a Christian. And for popularity, who am I? Six foot of dirt. That's all. Sinners saved by grace, and it wasn't for God's world I be. So uh, we're nothing. That's right. And we're uh, and you pray for me. <laughs> Thank you, friend. Now I'll hurry right to you with just the high points of my life story. Mother can't stay very long because in this I had to bring in Dad, and you know how it is. All right. Let's read some of the scripture first now. And remember, let's be out tonight early and expect God to not leave a, a person. I want to come in tonight if the Lord willing after speaking last night and tonight come right straight in and start the prayer line just immediately. And next week I'm going to, if I possibly can, average a hundred people tonight, if I possibly can, in the prayer line until we're through. You've been so nice. I'm going to, if they have to hold me with one arm and the other, then you're the platform again. You've been so nice and so reverent. I'll do everything that lays within my power to help you as I can. You've waited. You've been patient. Many have been healed in great signs and wonders have been done. And I trust that this week will be the greatest of all. And it's the last, the longest service that I've ever held any time of any kind of meeting. Now in the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews, we read the word, beginning with the tenth verse. I'm so happy today to know that my minister brother has been sitting here on the platform while you all are looking for the scripture. When I ask them to leave the platform when they go at night, it isn't because I don't want my brethren around me. But remember, they're human, and I'm conscious of somebody around me, you see. And they sit down there and pray for me, and they're good brothers. And I put my endorsement up on any of their ministries. And they're good God-saved brothers.
is, if there's somebody coming, vibrations coming from here and from here and from here, you see, if I can keep the people waiting just so I can single them out one by one and talk. And now, I wish to read now out of the Word. Begin with the 10th verse and 14th verse included. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. Let us go forth unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. I wish to make that my text for my life story this afternoon. Here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Can we pray? Our Heavenly Father, oh, I'm so happy today to be here at Cleveland, this great city, one of the major cities of our beloved nation, and to be here to give a testimony of thy Son, Jesus, who has died to redeem this lost races of people throughout all the world. And now you've gathered us here together this afternoon to pour out of your Spirit upon us, I believe. May every man, woman, boy, or girl, every church, every creed, denomination, race, color, forget all about the past now. Let's look to the future. Let's look to that continuing city that is to come. Cleveland is home to many thousands, just millions. Over a million people here. God, we pray that men and women will never be satisfied until they've met peace with you so that we can go to that continuing city. Looking up on the giant skyscraper in the city, looking up on the fine buildings and structures, but there will be a time when there won't be one stone left upon another. We believe that these cities and this great major conflict that's coming will be rocked with atomic powers and millions will die in hours. Blows of this. Even the earth shut from its orbit, going into the sun. Great heat shall scorch man, as the scripture says in the book of the Revelation. Now help us, God, to get our mind on you. Settle down. Let's go into this bloody trail. I'll review it, Lord, the best of my knowledge. You help me as it starts back from the beginning when you put your hand on your poor humble servant. May all my mistakes today, may others and young boys and girls who's coming on, may they be stepping stones to bring them to thee. May they profit of my arrows and suffering, that they might know you in the power of your resurrection. For we ask it in the name of thy beloved child, Jesus. 
Uh, those outside, can you hear all right out there outside? Well, I'm sorry you have to sit there and have the sun. It's awful bad, but we just have it look like the room right here. Now, every one of us are minded at this time when anyone goes to talking about a home, it, it reminds us of, of some similar experience that we've all, how many strangers here that's away from home, let's see your hands. Mine is many of you. All right. Frankly, all of us are pilgrims and strangers of this earth. We're seeking a city to come whose builder and maker is God. Abraham left the land of Chaldean and the city of Ur, going out sojourning, professing to be a pilgrim and stranger, for he was seeking a city whose builder and maker was God. Inspiration, something telling him that there was a city somewhere, and Abraham went to find it. And John on the Isle of Patmos saw our future home coming down from God out of heaven, where we're going someday. The great inspiration of God tells us that the home is just beyond the blue, where we all go. Let's take a little trip, would you? I just want to talk to you just in the bottom of my heart. Let's take just a little trip. I'm just going to let myself forget about even being a minister. Just talk to you. Let's go down home just for a while. Everybody likes to do that. Wouldn't you like to go back to the old trail again? Not that you're this or stand your other and kind of begin to think about it. I can just see every little path. When I was a little boy. Many of you remember those experiences, little girls. Think of most of those little girls. That old mother used to hold her apron string, done gone to be with Jesus. That little girls that you played with and borrowed the pencils and school from each other, many of them done crossed the border. The old dad and mother and so forth that used to get you ready to go to school, gone. Here we have no continuing city, but we're seeking one to come. I was born, I weighed five pounds. Little bitty boy, and I haven't grown very much since. It's been my mother, she carried me around on a pillow. I was born in a little log cabin way in the mountains of Kentucky, Cumberland County, near a little creek called Rennie. There's only one way to get through there, that's you go through the creek. The only way to go is by the creek. It's a little isolated place way down near the Tennessee line of the Cumberland River. My father was a logger. My mother, her father was a school teacher. And the principal of the rural school didn't get to go to school very much in Kentucky. All the creeks could get up and they couldn't go. In the summertime, they had to take a gooseneck hole and chop out the corn, tobacco and stuff that they raised in the hill to make a living. I was down standing by the little old cabin up on board and took a picture of it. I think it appeared in my book. A little old two-room cabin. The porch, the end of the kitchen had fallen down. I looked at it. I could imagine seeing my mother there. My dad was just a young man. Mother 
or 15 years old when I was born. Little mountain children. And my dad worked hard all of his life. He died young, 52. I'm thankful that Mother's still living today. She can be here with me. All my life, I guess I was a misunderstood person. No one understood me. When I was a little boy, I can just as I can barely remember. My mother knows behind that how the angel of the Lord came to me. And I, I do not know, I know this, I mean, that it was not goodness of my father and mother. They were both sinners. And it was no merits of my own. It was the merits of Jesus Christ. Our family, later on, we poor, oh my, I'm just almost ashamed to tell you. Uh, how poor that we had to live. I said he, I was misunderstood so much that when I'd be talking on the street to someone, somebody else would come up or they'd walk away and leave me stand. And I loved people, but no one had nothing to do with me. I was what they called the black sheep. I'd go downtown when I was a little boy, school, they had nothing to do with me. I wouldn't smoke and things with the rest of them, so they had nothing to do with me. When I was a, become aged, to go out with girls, 16, 17, 18 years old, well, because I didn't go to dances and parties and things like that, I was a wallflower, so they had nothing to do with me. When I become a minister, a missionary Baptist church, I was a fanatic, so God finally got me to the place where he was praying me to, to the people of his calling. And I was sitting not long ago on the porch. I just come in from a meeting. I was so tired I couldn't hardly go. Mine, I was so tired. I just got most of the crowd away from the house. I sat out on the porch and my poor old wife, she was just 30 years old, but turning gray. I put my arm around her and sat out on the porch and we was rocking a little bit. She said, are you tired, honey? And I said, so tired I can hardly stand up. Just then a car drove up to my piano player from Lord's Tabernacle. She seen me sitting there and she got, she ran up to the floor, she started crying and laid something on the and ran away. She said, oh, I won't take your time. You read it. Well, I got this minute. I won't. And she ran away and I picked it up. I looked at it. There was a little picture on there. I looked up. I've seen some big old sand cranes we have in Indiana. I don't know where you have them here or not. It's been out in the ponds all day feeding. The sun was going down in the west. I looked over here. We had that poem, Sunset and Evening Star, and one clear call for me. May there be no morning at the bar when I put out to see you first. It had a picture of a ship coming in, a window open, the water, the sun going down, the star coming out. And I looked there, and I said, Honey, think of it. A few years ago, I'd go down on the street, be talking to somebody while somebody else would come up and could talk to them while they go away, and I said, now, I have to almost hide out somewhere in the woods, but get out. I can stop on an airplane somewhere, and they know you're coming through. They'll have sick people laying around the ranks to be prayed for. I said, think of it now. I said, what did it? My education? I had none. 
My personality, I had none. What did it? The blood of Jesus Christ was the of God who received me. He was the one who gave me friends. I look, I see those old sand cranes going down, squawking. I looked at the three of them flying. I said, look, darling, they have been, God has provided for them all day long. They've eaten crawfish and minnows and so forth out in the ponds. And it's coming night now. They're gathering down on the Ohio Falls there where all the cranes come and gather at night. And they sit there and chatter together like they were on a picnic, just having a group of them, and sleep together through the night. God provides for them. Just then, two of my favorite birds, you might know what they were, robins. Oh, I love a robin. Ever since I heard that story, a little fiction story, when Jesus was dying at the cross, listen, little boys and girls, don't ever shoot my little robin. <laughs> Leave him alone. <laughs> He's a fine little bird. And I think the little fiction story, the song, you know, how that when Jesus was dying, no one would come to him, and a little brown bird flew into the cross to try to save him to pull the nails from his hands. And he got his little breast all red with blood, and he flew away, and from then he had a red breast. I, I think of it, and I think, God, let me shield my breast with your blood, too, that when I come before you. And that's just the little thing that I like, Robin's. And two of them flew up in the tree and went to them, and asked for a little one, sure, little. I said, look, God has fed them all day long. They're tired and weary now. They come into their nest, to their little ones, to gather in for the night. Now, oh, God, some day, when life is all over, and I've done the best that I can do, won't you let me gather in with the people I preach to? As sure as God has a place for the birds together, he has a place for us together. Someday we'll gather together at the setting of the sun. We'll go in together. Well, I remember the days when a little boy, about, about four of us in family, I'm, my mother's the mother of ten children, nine boys and a girl. I was the oldest of the family. And they come about a year or something different all the way down to the little girl. Now she's married as a child. But I can remember when we were just three or four in the group. And we used to live in a little old place. There's up Mother Lusher's place I'm speaking of. A little two-room cabin, flat clapboard shingles, you know. A little old side down like that. And where we'd all... I gathered around out there, and, and a little old, before the the door, I can just remember all the grass was watered down, where these bunch of little brands watered out like a bunch of little possums around the den. Little old boys, and we had a table, and didn't have very much furniture in the house. I can remember two old beds, the old great big high post beds, old walnut, I believe they were. We had straw mattresses. Did you ever sleep on a straw case? Uh, yes. Do you know what I'm talking Well, I'm not the only country boy, am I? So, an old straw case, and they had an old washstand mother had right between them, and it had marble in the middle here, and two little things on the side, little drawers you pull out. I remember that, and over on the other side, we had an old trunk, 
that had those little holes in it, you know, like that little tic-tac or what you call it on the, on the, the metal. And Mama's safe out in the kitchen had the same kind of stuff on And Papa built us a, a bench that we set behind the table to eat. And look, I never will forget. You ever read on an old wooden bench in the kitchen? Oh, my, my. Now, I remember Mother used to holler at dinner time and all those little brands and washed her face and under the table, you know, and up on the bench on the other side. We'd have a great big pot dinner, mulligan stew mainly. <laughs> and each one would get him a plate for it. We baked her bread. Mama baked it in a, in a, a bread pan, cornbread. And she would cut it in the middle and put it and set it on the table. And, you know, Jesus broke bread and blessed it. He never cut it. So each person broke his own piece of bread. That's Kentucky, brother, or lay down. So she'd get this unfolded meal and make the flour. And I used to sit right next to Dad where the bread did. I'd always manage to get a corner of the bread. It was brown and crusty, you know. I'd get that part there, and then we'd have, have bean soup and... I, you crumble the cornbread, and you know that wouldn't go bad right now. That's right. Just to think of it, it would be fine. And I remember we'd sit there and eat. I've eaten many places since then, but oh, brother, sister, if I could only go back to that one more time. That's right. To those old times back there, all the loved ones. How we'd gather around there, and I remember when we moved from there to another place, and how Dad used to take us down to town. Saturday night, that was a big night, had a little old Jersey wagon, drove a little mule, I remember his name, Coosey, they called him, and a little old mule, and Dad would go get it, and I'd see him come in when he, my dad was a small man, about my size, and I used to see him when he would roll up his sleeves, we had a glass tacked on a tree on the outside in the wash bench, you remember when you used to have that, and Mom would make the hand towels out of an old meal sack pull the ends of the strings out, you'll make a little fringe on them that's rough. Uh, when she hit my ears, I thought they were all rough. And she would stand me up and make me wash myself, and she'd reuse it rough. And, and I remember seeing Dad when he rolled his sleeves up and, and wash, and I thought, oh, my, my daddy, he'll never die. Look at those big muscles. He was longer and Great, big, strong arm. I thought, oh, my, look at him. He'll never die. But here we have no continuing things. He left the young man. A lot younger looking when he died than I am now. And then, when a little later on, I remember then the old house where it stood. I looked at that old house. I thought, oh, my, isn't that strong? How wonderful. What the structure of it is. I said, that house will be there for many generations. I was passing by just before, come down here, and they have a housing project built there now. Nothing to represent. I remember the old field out through there where we, Brother and I used to take and catch those old metal arcs, go out and try to get them out in the field, run down through there. My, my, you don't know what I'd give to get to run down that path again barefooted. Meet Dad when he come across the field, pick one up one arm, one the other, and walk with us to the house. Oh my, those golden days. I remember when Dad sitting out there and I thought, oh, how great, how this all is. Many of you have similar experiences, but 
Down the cities is passing away. The old houses are gone. Here we the old spring where we used to lay down and drink cold water. These idiots are doing there anymore. We have nothing earthly here that'll last very long. Notice. Then I remember going to school. Oh, I remember going to school. Great day. I remember Dad and Mother used to go to town on Saturday night. Us kids didn't want to go with them. And they paid their grocery bill. Pop made a whole 75 cents a day. Great money then. But he had to feed five children on it. And look, all of you know from my testimony, when I'm telling things, whether it's good or bad, I've got to be truthful and honest. You'll know it at the judgment, though I not know it here. My father drinks very, very heavy. Irish, he just practiced what killed him. Notice. Now I remember when he would come in and we'd go to town on Saturday nights, we'd all get in the little old Jersey wagon, go to town, pay the grocery bill. We'd wrap up in blankets if it's wintertime, the summertime we'd sit on some straw. We'd stop down at the corner of the old Speaks grocery. And I remember when they paid the grocery bill, Papa would get a sack full of candy for a treat. And you bring it out, that's a, for us boys. Boy, there'd be five little pair of blue eyes looking at that sack of candy. And every stick of old peppermint candy good. And every stick would be broke equally. And if they had to be one, they'd come up with not enough sticks. Every eye I see that would broke just exactly right. Yes, sir. And we sat there and divided up that candy. And we would eat it. And I would sometimes try to play when I'd suck on my piece of candy along, put it in the pocket and keep it. And Monday, Mom would say, William, I'd say, yes, ma'am, come get me a bucket of water. I'd say to my brother and auntie, I'll let you suck on this piece of candy if you go get the bucket of water for me. <laughs> oh, my lady, had two licks off of it. Ah, Monday was easy day for me if I could just resist the temptation of eating that candy. Old peppermint sticks, you remember? It was good. Oh, my. I guess I could go out tomorrow and buy me a box of Hershey's, but it would never taste like that. <laughs> That's the best candy I ever eat. And we'd keep it over, you know. And we'd hire one another box limited amount of food and stuff is what we could be able And listen. I mean, Mama, look, friends, it ain't a sin to be poor. No, it isn't. And maybe if none of you had to go down this trail, you don't know what it is. That's the reason that I could never be a rich man when I see poor little children on the street without clothes to wear, people without cold in the wintertime. How could I sit and hold money in my hands and such as that going on? I couldn't do it. No one with any kind of heart could do it. I don't see how rich people can heat themselves together treasures like that. No, sir. God, have mercy. I'm speaking of a city that is to come, whose builders, founders, makers, God. I remember just a little brief case. I remember one year, I went to school all year without a shirt. 
was a rich woman. My daddy was working for her. She gave me a coat. I never will forget it. When I went to school first, Mama made me a pair of some clothes, I think, out of top coats that he got married. She had great big white buttons on Little panty waist type, you know. And all those kids laughed at me. Said I was weird. I didn't care what they said. But that was my daddy's coat. It was good enough for daddy. It was good enough for me. I wished I had it today. I remember that winter. I had no coat. I'd go to school. I remember one day going to school, jumping up towards March. I had this old coat and had it pinned up like this. To get wet or anything in school, I had to wear this little old coat. I didn't have nothing on board. It couldn't have it. I remember the teacher said to me, he said, William, won't you take off that coat? I said, teacher, uh, I'm cold. I wasn't. I couldn't take it off. She said, move over there at the stove. She fired that stove up and sweat run down my face. She said, aren't you warm yet? I said, no, ma'am. I, I couldn't take it off. I didn't have on nothing under. She had it pinned up like this. And she said, well, you've got the, the bad cold. you got to go home. And she sent me home. I remember the first shirt that I got after that. My father's sister's church folder. One of them was a girl about my age. They stayed two or three days, and when they went back, the girl left the dress there. One of her dresses. I got to look at that dress that had short sleeves. I thought, I can make a shirt out of it. And I cut the, the dress part off and put it on, you know, and took off my coat. It looked pretty good. So, only the buttons was in the back of it. <laughs> got into it, and it went out to school, and all the kids began to laugh at me. <laughs> I remember what we had that little jujima box stuff on it, you know, little, what did you call it? What is it? Rip rat, that's right, rip rat all over it, you know, up and down the sides like that. And, uh, and as a, I said that wrong, didn't I? Rip rat? Rip rat, that's right, all right. Then I had all, and, I, and I said, you're laughing at that. I said, look, you just don't know. That's part of my Indian suit. <laughs> Indian suit and my cousin's dress. <laughs> they all laughed at me. made so much fun. I had to go home crying. Oh, my. Up across the field, I went crying. All right. Now, those old times passed by. I remember going to school. We, kids, we couldn't take our dinner like other children. A lot of them had their mothers that bake bread. They make sandwiches, you know, and put stuff between them. Uh, we couldn't afford that kind of bread. I had a little half-a-gallon syrup bucket. And we'd take a little jar in there and had greens in one. The other one has maybe beans or whatever we had left over. A piece of cornbread laying in there and two spoons. And what we're ashamed to eat before the other children, brother and I, and we'd step out and go over the hill go down to the edge of the woods and we'd sit there and eat between us. Look, that brother is in glory today. Oh my. How I wish he was here. I, I tell you, not long ago I was coming out of Texas from a meeting 
Oh, I'm so tired. Why, I said, let's ride up the road. We might have rode past to the old school where we used to go to school there. Have a look at the place. I thought, oh, my. I stopped. I said, I want a drink from that old well over there. I went over to get a drink of water, and I pumped it and drank. I leaned across the fence like this was looking. The baby and wife were picking some violets there in the yard. I began to think of different things. I remember seeing all of us little old boys lined up there at the time of the First World War. And then I was a little old boy, we'd have her hands laying on her shoulders, bumping, stopping down, all the stockings, and, and our shoes and the toes all out of them, standing there. I remember a time, it's right after Christmas, Mama popped some corn. And we'd taken some in a sack to school. That was a rarity. She popped it to spring on the Christmas tree. What she had left over the little cedar tree we cut out out in the field. Put the popcorn around to get some papers and make them loose. School, put them around, we got to school. And I remember sitting there looking. I remember Mother gave us that sack of popcorn and we put it in the cloakroom where we used to have to keep our, our coats and our lunches. And I had to think about that popcorn. I raised up my hand. She just said, what do you want, William? I said, may I be excused? yes. I went out through the cloak room and reached down in there and got me a great big hand of that popcorn. Went out and stood behind the schoolhouse, eat that popcorn and come back in. When dinner time comes, we went in to get our lunch and went over the hill. Edward said to me, he said, say, brother, something's happened to that popcorn. <laughs> sure has, hasn't it? I know what had happened to it. I'd eat it. Standing there leaning over the fence and thinking about that. The God, I give all the world my life now if I could take him a pen full of popcorn or where he was at and give it back to him. Died before we ever come to a place where we had very much. Just enough to barely live on. God called his precious life. I was out west working on a cattle ranch. And he died in the hospital calling for him, and he hears screams come down the street, a heart still come to me. One of these days, when I cross the portal, I'll be there. That's right. Got saved just before going. I remember looking at it there and thinking about that. I thought I looked up on the hill where we used to sleigh ride. I remember the time 1917, Mama worked for the government sold shirts for the soldiers. They had bundles of shirts. And that's how we lived. They had to go down every weekend and take the shirts down. She got $4.44 to make a bundle of shirts. That's what we lived. All right. When she was going down, I remember us little boys, she couldn't buy us a sled. And all the boys had sleds down the hill riding come a great snow and sleeted and froze over the top. And we would slide down the hill on our sled. Brother and I didn't have any sleds, so we went out to the old country dump, got a big old dishpan. We set the dishpan and put our legs around one another and loved each other. Down the hill we go. <laughs> we might not have been as much class as the rest of them, but we were riding just the same. So we, that done all right until the bottom came out of the thing. Then we couldn't ride no more than that. So we went out and got us an old log. We get up on the hill and get on this log, and here we would go down the hill on the log. Oh my! I remember during the time I wanted to be a soldier. I'd see those soldiers come up the Utica Pike. 
That flag is flying by the banners going, the drums are beating. I send a little bitty boy on my mouth, on my hair hanging down my face. Oh, when I get to be a man, I'm going to be a soldier. I'd see with them leggings on, standing there, all our attention, and everybody stands out. Oh, my. And when I got old enough, and the war come on, it wouldn't receive me. One thing, being a minister, another thing, I guess I just wasn't man enough to go. They wouldn't take me. I tried many times, tried to volunteer, and they said, we'll call you for you. The Reverend Graham, go on back. I thought, well, the friend, I finally got to put on a uniform. That's right. I remember Lloyd Ford, a friend of mine. He used to belong to what they called Lone Scouts. He stole papers called Pathfinder or something. And he got a boy scout suit for that. Now, oh, I admired that boy. I said to him, I said, Lloyd, when you wear that out, will you give it to me? He said, sure, I'll give it to you. A mile that suit lasted a long time. Look, I, I got to a place I thought the thing never would wear out. So finally he said he'd give it to me. Went, all right. Well, I went on for a while. I thought I missed him wearing I said, Lord, what become of the suit? He said, well, Billy, I'll see if I can find him. He looked around and he come back and said, well, Billy said, the last piece of it, said, this went to pieces and, and mother had taken the coat and made the dog a pallet and said, it's all ruined and gone now. So I couldn't find a piece of it, only just one leg in. I said, well, bring that to me. This one leg in, a little head, a little drawstring, a little leg in, about like that. And he brought that one leg in to me and, oh, my, how I like that leg in. So I put it on at home, you know, and I thought, how dandy. If I was just like the school kids, sing me that leg in home. So I went down that day. I remember going to school. I got up on the hill and was I thought, now, how am I going to do? I've got to find an excuse to put that leg in on so they won't know that's the only leg in I got. So I, I don't know what to do. Now I put it back in my coat. Now I went on to school. And uh, Edward and I were riding down the hill on this old log. And I, I turned over on the log. And I act like I hurt my leg. I said, oh, my. Never hurt. I said, oh, my. Mm. That was a strain on my leg. I said, it just reminds me. I've got one of my leggings to my student here. I said, that will help my leg a whole lot. And I said, oh, I went into school. I was going to, you know the old blackboard we used to have at school? I was going to ride on the blackboard, so I stood this way, see. Put my leg like this on the outside of one that had the leg in. I turned sideways like this and right. <laughs> Everybody, and all the kids got to laugh at that. I, like, I got to cry. Teacher made me go home. That <laughs> one leg. The brother and sister. The day I got a uniform and I'm in the army. The army of the Lord. Hiding the foes of the wicked. Dressed. You might not be able to see it, but I know it's there. I feel it. The armor of God, the full gospel in my heart, baptism of the Holy Spirit, God working signs and wonders, the helmet of faith, shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, shot of the gospel, the sword in hand, joining with you ranks out here now, that our armor is inside of us, looking up there and thinking of those old times. I started crying. Wife said, I thought you'd come home to rest. I said, honey, I think about those things. I think, 
Where's Ralph Field? Gone. Where's Wilmer? Gone. Where's my brother Edward? He's gone. Where's Ralph Holloway? Gone. Here we have no continuing city. I looked back up on the hill to see where the old face was. I thought if I could get the big see that little line, a little through that green face there going up to the house. Gone. The house is gone. Daddy's gone. Oh my. Here we have no continuing city, but we're seeking one to come. These children makers, God. My friends are gone. My brother's gone, daddy's gone, my home's gone. Mother, I left for the story. Notice, then think of all those things and how I cheated my brother out of a handful of popcorn. It all come back to me then. Brother, sister, don't ever do anything wrong, for it will come back to you just as sure as you live. Do right, you're bound to come out right. And then, I remember, I have to hurry because it's getting late. Get right down now. I have to leave in a few moments. If you'll give me your attention as you have been, I think you're awfully nice. Oh, now I wish I had time to move in and get the story of the coming of the gift and so forth, but I'll have to kind of skip that. I remember the time many of you read in the book and so forth, how the angel Lord appeared to me down, told me never to smoke or to drink or to file my body in any way. That there be a work for me to do when I got older, appeared to me in a bush, and how they misunderstood it. My mother could give you the story standing here, and how that even my best girlfriend one time called me a big sissy because I wouldn't smoke a cigarette. And I always had my opinion of a cigarette smoking woman, and I haven't changed it. That's right. It's the lowest thing that women ever done. That's right. To see them sitting in a place. Uh, the other day I started to holler fire right here in your city. A woman sitting there and smoke coming all out around her like that. The poor little baby laying her arms. I thought, you want that baby's eyes to be an ashtray? God never give you that baby for that purpose. You're treated to raise right. And women, listen here. Take my advice. If you do smoke, oh, in Jesus' name, forget about it. Never do that. That's awful. Don't do that. For I know if this spirit that bothers me, I don't get up and go. Everybody know how guilty you are. Now, and uh, I know one thing. If this angel of the Lord comes from God, as I know it does, you'll certainly answer it today as judgment for doing it. We're in the spirit of the latter day. People, heady, high-minded, can't tell them nothing. They don't know it all. They won't stop and listen to humans. Stop those things. Live right and live before God. I'll tell you one thing. You get the Holy Spirit, and then you can go ahead and smoke as you get the Holy Spirit. Someone said to me, did you ever baptize anybody that smoked? I said, look here, brother. I have a yardstick in my church. See, I teach the people what's the truth. And then when they receive Christ, Christ takes care of the rest of it. Here's this old oak tree out here. It holds its leaves all the year through all the winter. Spring time comes, there's that old dead leaves hanging on it. You don't have to go pick the leaves off to make new ones come on. Just let the new life come up, the old leaves go off. That's right. Let the Holy Spirit come into a person's heart, take clean up and fix up a few things like right. that. Right. Just get them to Christ, that's all. That's God's business to now. Now, I never tell people what they have to do and what they can't do and what's effed up between them and God. 
But I know that one of the lowest things I ever see when I do is smoking. I think I've seen sit there and act like that. It's just it's something in me. I wish I didn't feel that way, but it's something in me makes me feel that way. And uh, it's not me. It's him. And I know by that what it will be at the judgment. So escape that. You don't have to do it. Get away from it. Stay away from it. You can't come to this prayer line without being called out on you. That's one thing, sure. You'll call it every time. And notice this one thing now. Later on down to life, uh, I had girlfriends, like all boys. I remember I was a little skeptic of girls. I've seen the way women act. Frankly, I've never had very much use for women. I don't mean your sisters now. But I, just to see how untrue they were, some of them. I was around like my father drinking, hung around those places, and Maybe I'd be around and see how women come out and living untrue. A lot of them women have gone on to meet the judgment now. And let's stand there in that day. And I said, I'll never get married. Never want nothing to do with one. I'll be a trapper and a hunter all my life. And I'll never have nothing to do with the girl. But when I got to be about, when I was even 17, 18 years old, I passed on the street. I'd see a girl on one side and I thought she was going to take something and cross over and go on the other side. Because I just didn't want nothing to do. That's all. I didn't want to put that caught up with it or anything. I want to keep away from it. And so I went ahead. But finally, I found a girl that was a real girl. She was a Christian. She afterwards become my wife. I guess you wonder how I ever got married. Be so bashful. I'll tell you how that happened just quickly as I can. I met her. She's a pretty girl. But she's such a lady, the way she carried herself. And I'm so glad that her little boy here in this afternoon is hearing this, and I can say his mother was a genuine lady. Yes, sir. And I met her. She was a member of a church up there. And she asked me to go to church with her, and I did. I kept going with her a long time, and I, I thought she was pretty. She was a real girl. Uh, but the only thing was... I've been going with her for about a year or something. Now, I knew a girl like that. I shouldn't take up with her time if I wasn't going to get married. So I have let somebody else that wanted to get married have her. And that is going to be an awful spot to pull away from me. Or you know how you think they all look, you know, teeth like pearl and eyes like a dove, you know, and all that. All of you get down. Don't you think that of your wife? You know, you ought to continue thinking that of her, too. That's right. I try to keep that thought in mind. She's just as sweet. Wait till she's made immortal on the other side. Then look at her. She won't need any, what do you call them, manicure stuff you put on your face here to make her look right then. God will have her. I believe there were... I can't believe scientists that women, when they were ugly looking thing and whatever it was, a man with hair out of his nose like that and looked like a prehistoric animal. I believe that when God woke Adam up to look at Eve, she was the most beautiful thing that eyes would ever look at. That's right. It goes to show that man, even this day, the desire man craves, look at a beautiful woman. Why? Because that, that stream comes down through that time. Be like that. To know that that was given from from Garden of Eden. I see her sitting there, her lovely hair hanging down around her hips. Adam looked at her. It was the flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. I can see him take her by the arm and walk down through Eden. Oh my! Don't worry, mother. It'll be that way someday again. That's right. 
There'll be no old there, there'll be no babies. They'll all be about one age marching on. Notice then what happens. I thought, well, now I've got to ask her, and I just hadn't got the heart to ask her. I don't know why I've got to let her go if she won't marry me. Now, her father was making about five hundred and something dollars a month, and I was making twenty cents an hour digging ditches. Mine. I had an old crippled up Ford, was in awful condition, and then I had a, that's about all I had. I didn't even have a suit. I had uh, trousers of one kind and a coat of another. But she loved me, I know, and I know I loved her. And I go to church with her, and she was a very sweet girl. It's just peaceful and nice. Then I thought, now I've got to do something about it. And what am I going to do? And I didn't have nerve enough to answer. So you know what I done? I wrote her a letter. That's an awful way to become married, but, but I, now, it wasn't just dear miss. It had a little, you know. <laughs> I fixed it up the best that I could. And I, I got it all fixed out, you know. I thought was going to work and I, I, I dropped it in the mail. Well, when Wednesday night was coming, we had a date to go to church. And I, I began to think, what if her mother got a hold of that? Oh, my. And our father was a good-hearted dustman, uh, but her mother is a fine woman, but one of those prissy types, you know, and I, she didn't like me very well. So she never mistreated me. <laughs> she just didn't like me. <laughs> so I thought, oh, how am I going to get by her? So I begin to think when Wednesday night come on, what if she got that letter? She's the one who meets me on the porch. Now what am I going to do? I begin to think I just won't go. <laughs> so I thought, well, if I don't, I've lost my girlfriend. Now what am I going to do? I had to do something. So I went on up. I thought I'd take a chance. And I went up there. And nobody out. I know better than blow a horn for the country. <laughs> she tell me about that. If I was man enough to walk up to the door and ask for her, I didn't go out. I think the girls that take that attitude now would be a lot better off. And so I went up to the door and I knocked at the door and gave the guy warm. I thought he'd come to the door and she opened the door. She said, Oh, hello, Billy. And I said, Hello. She looked at me and I rolled my mind my, my ear. And she said, Won't you come in? I went, Oh, they get me in there. They're not knowing me. I said, I, I, I'll just wait right here on the porch. Shining bright. She said, Did you work hard, Billy? I said, 
I sure did. I thought she never got that letter. See? She never got that letter. If I'm not going to be a box or hasn't been delivered, I got pretty brave and I said, all right. I began to look over at her, look around her face. And I thought she passed through that moonshine on her top, pretty she looked at her. I was going, oh my. Ooh, I hope she don't get that letter now. <laughs> so I'm going on like that. And I was getting pretty brave, you know. She said, uh, Billy? And I said, yes. She said, I got your letter. Oh. I said, uh, you did? She said, uh-huh. Just kept on walking. And I thought, well, woman, say something. Tell me get away or do something. You know how women can keep you in suspense. You brothers know what I'm talking about. And I, I just kept walking on. So I, I said, uh, well, maybe she never read I said, did you read it? She said, uh-huh. Just kept walking. Oh, my. Say something before you get back to the house. Sure enough. So, and I said, uh, did you read all of it? She said, uh-huh. I said, well, what did you think about it? Oh. She said, it's all right. But we got married. Everybody. <laughs> We got married, and before we got married, I know that I had to, to ask their parents for it. She said, you'll have to ask mother and daddy. Oh, I'm in for it again. But I said, how about just asking your daddy? She said, oh, either one of them. I said, thank you, honey. I went out, I remember that night, I was going to ask their daddy, and I sat down so nervous. He liked me. And so I said, uh, I was so nervous, and she's looking at me laughing. And uh, so I got up off the, the dual floor. I walked over and she said, Good night. And I said, I said uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, Mr. Rumbach? He said, Yeah. I said, Could uh, I, I uh, speak to you just a moment? He said, Sure. He comes walking out, no great thing. <laughs> walked out on the porch and I said, Sure is a fine night. <laughs> he said, Yes, it is, Billy. I said, my, I like good weather, don't you? <laughs> I'm so nervous, I don't know what to do. He said, yes, yeah. go ahead, Bill, you can have her. <laughs> I said, do you mean it, Charlie? He said, yeah, I like him today. <laughs> I said, he said, oh, my. That was fine. I said, you talk to Mother about it. Will you do it? He said, oh, yes, I'll take that up. It's all right. I said, Charlie, look, I said, I can't make her a living the way you do. I said, I, I, I'm only making 20 cents an hour. I said, I, I can't make her, but Charlie, I love her with all my heart. And I'll work as hard as I can to make her with it. He put his hand on my shoulder, fine man. He said, Billy, I'd rather you have her than anybody in the world. He said, you'll be good to her. And after all, happiness don't consist of how much the world's good you ain't. Right. I said, Charlie, we'll be happy. And he said, well, I hope that you are, Billy. He said, be good to her. I said, I will. He said, I'm glad to know that you're going to get married. And we were married. We were happy. And oh, my. We didn't have nothing. I remember when we went to housekeeping. We rented two rooms. And I went out and bought an old secondhand cooking stove. And I paid a dollar and seventy-five cents for it, and paid a dollar for the grapes to go in. Someone went to Sears and Roebuck and got one of them tables, 
breakfast set was not painted. Now, I remember I painted a big shamrock on it, because when I was average, <laughs> I painted a big shamrock on it. You just laughed about it. We had an old folding bed. Anybody know what a folding bed is? Somebody get it to us. We had two linoleum rugs and an old folding bed. We went to housekeeping, but brother, it was home. We had each other, and that's all we cared for. I'd become a minister and was preaching the gospel then. We had a little church and was preaching the gospel. I didn't make very much. And after a while, God blessed us in our home. And my little Billy Paul would say, Make any audience come on the scene. And I asked God to give me a little boy. And when he was born in the hospital, I first heard him scream in the room, the living room. I said, Lord, it's a boy, and I now give him to you. His name shall be called Billy Paul. And the doctor from my human said, You have a fine boy in there, you'd like to see him. I said, Yes, his name is Billy Paul. So he came out and here he is with me today. Went on and we struggled and worked and tried to make a living and go along the best we could. I hurry right through now as quick as possible to this dear strange part. And then I was doing fine. We saved our money. I was still paying from old Ford. And I, I remember we got a time where we, I could go up to Jack, Michigan, old brother Ryan, he's somewhere in here today, I believe you'll see him along here, he's coming in, he's an old man, I used to thought he belonged to the house of David because he had long beard and hair. I went to see him at Michigan to fish a little while, we saved her money, and she wanted to stay home because they had uh, a working group in the church and she couldn't leave to go with me and I could drive us about 200 miles up there and I went up to spend two or three days fishing. And on my road back, I passed through Mishawaka, uh, Indiana, and there was uh, people out there and the uh, worst church manners I ever seen in my life. They were screaming and shouting. Well, I never seen anything act like that. But I thought I'd leave I'd see it. it was a Pentecostal group of people. The minister was named Rao, where they holding money. Somebody might go, Reverend Mr. Rao from Mishawaka, Indiana. And they had a Pentecostal group. Well, I went, stopped, and went to the door, and police directed the traffic on the outside. There's all up and over there, and those people are clapping their hands and screaming and running up and down the aisles and shouting. I thought, my, my, what a group. Well, you heard of those songs, something got a hold of me. It began to work on me a little bit, you know. Oh, uh, well, I counted my money. I had exactly $2.75 and I had to go home. Well, I counted how much gas money would take you a tank of gas to home. I had 75 cents left. So what they, going on the meeting, was going on this having a conference, a national conference. And I went out and got me a whole big bunch of stale rolls for sugar on them. Wrap them up and put them under my seat, and I know I could live off of that. Although they're having dinner there and so forth, but I had no money to put in, so I didn't want to eat from them when I couldn't put nothing in the offering. So I couldn't find a place to stay, so I went out in the country in an old cornfield and stretched out my uh, seat out of my car and put my trousers under there to stretch them that night and lay down. And I know that night they had a big bunch there and they began to preach, and they said all the preachers come to the platform. Two, three hundred preachers walked to the platform. They had different ones that said, oh, we haven't got time for all of you to preach. Just stand up and give your name where you are. And when I come my time, I said, Reverend Bannon, Jefferson, Indiana, sat down, evangelist. Like that, his own next, like that, and went on through. And directly said some man was going to preach, a colored man. They had to have it in the north because they couldn't have it in the south on account of the colored and white together. 
There's only an old fella out there had one of those great big old preacher coach on long old colored man, a little bit of rim of hair around like that, come walking out like this, you know, and I'd heard all good preaching that day. He walked the first time I ever seen a microphone. I was watching the public dressing outfit, little bitty thing hanging there, big tabernacle, might all look good to me. And I was looking around the old but what amazed me is those people so free and happy. My I never was used to that. And then this old man came out there, I thought it was like less than a young man preached. Instead of that old man got dead. And he come walking out of our kids, he said, Well, he said, Children <laughs> He got to talking you know, he took his text. Now a preacher's been preaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I was listening close and all these things. But he took his text back over in Job. Where was you when I laid the foundations of the world? When the morning stars came together and the sons of God shouted for joy. Begin to preach on that to him. They preach on things down here, but he went up back there with Job. Come down through eternity, down and come back on the horizontal rainbow. Come. About time he got preaching there, about five minutes, that old stove up man let out a yelp and screamed and jumped up the air and kicked his heels together, stole his chest back, kicked off that platform like a little band of chickens and said, Well, you ain't even got room up here for me to preach. <laughs> I looked at that. And I said, my, that's what I want. If it'll make an old man act like that, what would it do to me? <laughs> Did it do that? I, well, I thought, that's what I want. And I said, I ain't going home till I find out more about this. That night out there, I knelt down, I said, oh, God, that people got something that I want. I said, let me have some of that. And I was, uh, listen, I said, now, give me favor with him somewhere. Want to go down there? I said, may I just, may this same thing get all over me and I'll feel that way. So I went on down there. You know, the Baptists don't act like that. You know, they have the, you know. And uh, I know no disregard to the Baptist church. Uh, that's all right. If the Baptists were to stay back, listen, not long ago I was preaching the Baptist church just as hard as I could preach. And all of them said, yes, this is starchy. I said, say, is this the Baptist church? I said, yes, sir. I got up preaching again. And I get a little wild, I guess you know that. So I got a little preaching up like that. Nobody said amen. I said, say. Is this a Baptist church? I said, yes, sir. I said, look, you all not Baptist. You're just church joiners. Down in Kentucky, where I come from, when we Baptist down there, when we get saved, we get out the altar and beat one another to back till we come through. That's real Baptist, brother. That's right. That's the kind of Baptist we need today. That's right. That's exactly right. And then, I, but these people, how they were going on, praising the Lord, and I went out and I prayed, God, let me get some of that. That's what I want. Next day, I went out to church about 10 o'clock. They just got through breakfast, and I had my rolls. I come down and got me a drink at a fountain down there in the city, drove the whole board up, got out. I put on a pair of them steer sucker trousers that morning, a little T-shirt. Nobody knows me, not a soul. I walked in, sat down, by a colored man. I was sitting there, and I thought, oh, my. All of them were clapping their hands and singing and shouting and screaming. I thought, oh, my, if I just had grace enough to do that. If I just get loose to do that, I don't want that. I was watching, by and by, after a while, the little fellow come up to the microphone, his name was Kurt from Cincinnati, and Ohio. And he said, there was a young minister on the platform last night by the name of Bram. That we want him this morning to come to the platform for the morning message. Here's Sucker Trousers, t shirt. Not me. I was way back there, I just kind of scooted down the seat like this. So again, he went in and they sang another song. He said, Anybody inside or out know the whereabouts of Mr. Brown? 
Jody's preaching on the platform. He said, come to the platform, and said, uh, we're here to bring the morning message. I just said real forward. Ever said nothing? That colored girl looked toward me and said, do you know him? <laughs> what can I say? I said, yes, sir. He said, go get him. Well, I, I, I couldn't lie to him. I said, listen, fella, I'm going to tell you something. He said, yes, sir. I said, I'm a brother. I said, I can't get up there. I said, look at these trousers, see? Look at this t-shirt. He said, damn people don't care how you dress. I said, but look, I can't go up there. I said, you just keep still. Don't tell them I'm here, see? Just keep still. He said, anybody know where Reverend Brown is? I told him, I said, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Here's other trousers, t-shirt. My face is red, you know. Oh, my. What was I going to do? I got a hold of my Bible. I said, Lord, I prayed last night for something. Maybe it's you. I said, what am I going to do? I can't preach around where them fellows are. I go up there and I started walking up. Everybody looking at me. Here's other trousers. You know how to be pressed under a Ford seat. So, <laughs> this old t-shirt just stained all over. You know, I started walking up. I was up fishing. So, I, I started walking up there and I said, well, well people, I said, I'm just a little bit... Uh, <laughs> I don't know what I am. I said, I, I feel kind of funny. I said, I, I, I'm not used to your old religion. I said, and uh, and uh, I said, I, I, I'm going to speak this little. I do the best I can. And so I got a hold of there, over there where the rich man lifted up his eyes and hell. My, something got a hold of me. The next thing I know, it's about a half hour later, I was out in the yard. My, what a time we had. Here come a fellow up with a big pair of Texas boots on, a big hat, but I'm Reverend so-and-so. I thought, well, I ain't the bad dress there. <laughs> I said, are you in ministry? He said, sure. But I heard your message. Uh, here gives the band. you like me to come down to Texas and hold me a revival. I said, well, look, I'm just a young preacher. I just started. I said, I ain't haven't got into this way. You just right when you all are. I said, I like it. A fellow tapped me on the shoulder. You look me head on a pair of those there knickerbocker pants. Blouse at the knees like I used to wear when I was a little boy. Golf clothes. He said, I'm elder so-and-so from Miami. I said, you a preacher? He said, yes. Sir. I thought, well, I'm all right. <laughs> so he said, well, here. Can you come hold a meeting for me? And a lady come up from somewhere way up in the Indian country. He said, oh, brother, we need you up there. I said, well, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Maybe this is what you're going to do something for me. I got over there. I began to take down her names and address. I said, I'll find out. I'll talk it over with the Lord with my family. When I went home, I'll never forget running in. My wife always met me here. I'm stretched out. I can see her yesterday. Bless her heart. She come running to the door. I said, oh, honey, I got something to tell you. I met the best bunch of people in the world. I began to tell her all about how he's acting. She said, well, where's he at? I said, up at Mishawaka, Indiana. I said, you think they're ashamed they're religious? They just scream, shout, run, kick one of their hands. I said, they don't care. They're just as free like birds in the air. I said, she said, where's he at? I said, I'm Mr. Walker. The whole bunch of them up there. And I want to show you something. Reached down to the pocket. I said, they have given me invitations to come to their churches to preach. I said, you believe it? She said, is that true, honey? I said, she said, well, maybe you could preach their kind of church. I said, they asked me to come. I said, well, I'll go. So she, well, I said, will you go with me? God bless her heart. She'd always go. She said, yes, honey, wherever you go, I'll go with you. We didn't have no money. We wanted to count our money. What we had, 
and I didn't have even enough to make a payment on the car. I said, well, look, honey, the, the, the Bible said, don't take nothing and take no thought. I said, the Bible said, if you got two coats, give one up to your brother and go on out. And he'd supply it. Now, I said, do you think that you and the baby could go along and be, yes, yes, we'll do it. Next thing we had to tell our parents then, I went and told my mama here, of course, mama is all right with her. I'm thankful for a good mother. And said, that, sure, honey, God bless you. Then we had to go, and this time her father and mother separated. So I had to go to her mother. And when I went to her mother, she said, William? Oh, my. I knew what was up. She said, you cannot take my daughter. I said, look, uh, look, that's the nicest bunch of people. She said, I've heard of that bunch of people. They're a holy roller. And she said, you're not pulling my girl out across this world today. She's got something to eat tomorrow. She's starving. Amongst that bunch of trash. And brother, I've come to find out this and I say it from my heart. What she called trash is the cream of the crop. That's exactly right. I say that with reverence. That's true. Now, she said, now I said, well, she's my wife and she wants, she said, well, mama, I want, well, there it was. Now, so she started, she said, well, if she goes, her mother will go to the grave brokenhearted. And her wife started crying. Well, I, I couldn't stand that. So I told her, I said, well, we'll wait and go later. Now, there's where I made my mistake. Now, if I would have went on, this gift was in operation way before I called her to come amongst people who didn't recognize it, you see. But I said, well, we won't go. And brother and sister, from right then, my trouble started. The first thing you know, my church began to drop off. My brother was killed suddenly, his neck broke. And a fit, uh, riding on a car like this with his arm out, his neck was broke, his blood poured out on my other brother's body. I run to meet him, but it was too far. He died before I could get to him. My sister in law died a few days after that. My father died in my arms. Everything began to go wrong. Then the 37th flood came on. You heard about it. Many of you on your radio, the names of the Ohio River, swept out the country. My wife taken pneumonia. Little old doctor there, I shall never forget him. He come with his buddies, we fish together and hunt together and everything. One of the best doctors, the medical doctors there is in the country. And he we went to school together. He come up there and looked at her and said, Billy, said that girl got pneumonia. I just take him his Christmas present. And the God had given us a little girl between that time, little Sharon Rose. I couldn't call her the Rose of Sharon, but I could call her Sharon Rose. And I called her Sharon Rose, and God gave her to us, and she's a sweet little lump, and we just loved her so much, and she just got to a place to work, and my mother would set her in a little four corners, you know, out in the yard, and I'd come up and I'd blow the horn on the car like that, she'd recognize, she'd lift her little arms and go, goo, 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 my, how I love that little lump of human flesh, I'd hold her in my bosom and kiss her and love her. My little boy, I just love little children and God had given them to me and I'd put them both on my back and piggyback and ride around, you know, just as happy as we could be. Nothing yet, just, she had the, the two children a little over two years and then, but she'd taken pneumonia when she went to get the children's Christmas presents and the doctor said she'll have to lay right here Billy because she's probably alive if, if she ever moves. But her mother come up and said she's going to move her down to her house. And Dr. Bear said she'll have to get another doctor. Well, I wouldn't do it until they would permit it. So they, she went and dismissed him and got another doctor and take her down there. 
the flood broke through, and then all of us were put on the rescue to, to work for the flood. We rushed right to the government hospital where the temporary place of the hospital. The dice was breaking through. The city was washing away. I'll never forget those nights. I remember they called me. Both babies were sick with pneumonia. She was laying sick with pneumonia out in the hospital there with a fever 105, and both babies sick. And I come up. I come up and had my car, and I had a boat, and I raised on the river, because I operated a boat pretty well, and everybody was just pulling people out of the flood, and people drowning and everything. And I got my boat, I was working on the wall, and someone comes and said, oh, get down here, preach your right quick, get your boat in down here. There's a broke you all over on Chestnut Street, and the houses are washed away, and there's a mother on top of the house out there with a bunch of little children, about 11 o'clock at night. I rushed down there real quick and drove my boat in the water, started up, and I had to bust those waves as high as this tent almost up in there where just dashing against the side of those buildings like that. And I heard a mother screaming. I looked over there and she was standing on the top porch out over a house and the, the waves just shaking at a house like that with four or five little children standing around us. I could see where the street lights hadn't went out yet down through there. Now I went up through an alley like this with a boat and this is Washington Center. Went down through that way, finally caught to the post and showed the rope around and run in, the mother had fainted. I picked her up and pulled all the children, packed them, put them in the boat, and got back. Just as I got to the bank, I heard her say, Oh, my baby, my baby. Well, I thought she left a little baby in there. Where's my baby? Though she's talking about a little, a little, about three-year-old child she had there. And I said, Oh, my little baby laying in that house. I went back again. I wrote a poor little thing, how I love children. And the waves are horrible then. I just got to that house and Throw the rope around again and went in, looking all around. I couldn't find no baby. Just now I heard the house give away. And just as the giveaway, I run real quick to the porch and grabbed the, the rope as the column went down and pulled the knot out of it. And then the current caught me and out through the river I went like that. And I got out there and I couldn't get my outboard started. I went like that string is froze, sleeting, snowing. And I was trying to get it started, it wouldn't start. And the current caught me. And there was a fall just below me. And I know what was going. There, heading in that boat out there, rocking back and forth, the waves twisting like it, me pulling on that string, and it wouldn't start. I'd pull again, it wouldn't start. I thought, oh my, a half a mile farther down through that shootout hole, and they'll never find a piece of me. I want to go down through there, and I thought, oh God, the wages, the way of a transgressor is hard, friends. Don't you never get that for what it is. And I thought, oh, God, to begin to remember it. I began to remember it then that he called me to go, and I didn't go, and I refused to go. During that time, oh, we went ahead and received the Holy Spirit, both of us. And I was pulling the string, it wouldn't start. I got down, I thought, there's little Billy Paul, I'll never see him again. There's little Sharon Rose, I'll never see her again. There's wife laying there in a hospital, right at the point of death, I'll never see him. When they break the news to her that I'm gone and find a truck sitting there, and that was, some of them might have seen the house move away, what will happen? I said, God, have mercy upon me. Please, dear God, I don't want to die. I'm sorry that I did what I did. I said, help me to start. I pulled a chain and away it started. And cut through and come way down the higher part and come back. Went and got my car real quick, left my boat tied up top of a tree where I could get back to it. I come up and got my car real quick, and someone said, Why, the government devil washed away a while ago, or the wife was. And I went up through there real quick, and I met a major there. And I, I stopped and I said, Major Weekly, I knew him. I said, Is it true? I said, Yes, the water broke through, that all that hospital bunch were taken out of. But I think that all of them got on a car, a train, and they'd gone to Charleston, Indiana. And you can find him up there. I jumped in my car. I remember the last time I seen my little associate pastor. He grabbed me by the hand. He said, Brother Branham, 
If I never see you again, I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> and that's our last salutation, one another, as we salute one another. He died during the time of the flood. And all, oh wait, he never died. He went home to be with Jesus during the time of the flood. A little boy filled with the Holy Ghost, a little Frenchman, D.R.C. was his name. And away oh, we went. Uh, I went out there to try to, to get across, and when I got my boat down there and got up there, the Lancaster Creek up there had backed you for about eight miles of water through there, swiftly, and it wasn't a river where it's cut around. And some of them said, well, that train you crossed, went on the trussle, the trussle washed away, and every one of them drowned. And I got there, and, oh, my, I thought, it can't be, it can't be. And I tried again, I tried to pierce it, and I couldn't try into the night, the water's taking me back, come to find myself cut off from everybody, setting out in the room. Up on the hill, and there for about five or six days, I had plenty of time to think all over my wrong when God called me to go and I didn't go. And sitting there thinking my baby and wife to drown, my mother, where was she at? I didn't know where she was at. I didn't know where no one was at. And finally, when the river dropped enough that I could get a boat across, I rushed across and I said, maybe they went to Charleston. They told me the boat, the boat got through, I mean, the train got through. I went to a great big place in Charleston where they're keeping all the refugees. I went in there. They know nothing about nobody named Branham in there. I walked down the street and met old Colonel Hay, a very good friend of mine. He said, Billy, he said, that train went through here. I don't think it even stopped. We went down to the dispatcher's office. He went down there and said, yes, so the engineer of the train will be in just in a few moments to drove that train through. That was a cattle car. Her father was a brotherhood organizer on the Pennsylvania. drives the south wind through now. And there it was, going out on a cattle car. And the sleet and rain upon them, I know they couldn't live like that. Now I have two sick children. And so how could it get Columbus? I was cut off. And there, walking down the street, crying, wringing my hands. Oh, we don't know what would take place. I, someone walked run up to me and said, Billy, you're looking for hope, aren't you? And I said, yes, that's my wife's name. They used to call her Hope, Me, Faith, and Little Baby, Little Billy, Charity. So they said, you're looking for her, and I said, but my girlfriend is in Columbus, Indiana, and your wife is laying by her side, dying with cute tuberculosis. I said, no, it can't be. He said, yes, she is. I said, can you get me there? He said, yes, but you can walk away. I said, I can walk anywhere. We got up and got in the car, and I went to Columbus. I went up there, and I thought, where's she at? I run into that. They had it in a, in a Baptist uh, uh, church down on the basketball floor, gymnasium. Now I started down to that heart. Cops everywhere and people uh, stretched off like this and every sickness and everything. And I started screaming at the top of my voice, Oh, 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 where are you, honey? Where are you? I love her. I love her, yes. She's in a grave out there, but God knows she was a good, God saved woman. And I looked and I was crying, screaming, Oh, where are you? I looked at her and I seen an old poor bony hand go up there and it was her. I'll never forget how I my heart began to drop. Now I run over to her and fell down and grabbed her hand. She did weigh about 130 pounds. She probably weighed 60 or 70. I was crying at the word Billy for Sharon. She said they're in a home somewhere. So I'm going up.
said, yes, doctor. But it's the same with air you're down here at home. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, I'm going to tell you. He said, you better get ready for this. He said, your wife is going to die. He said, she's got TB. And I said, that's galloping consumption. And said, she won't last for just a little while. I said, doctor, no, she can't go. I said, you looked at my baby. He said, yes, they've both been sick, but they're getting better. And I said, well, look, I'm going to take her home. And he said, you can't do that. He said, you just stay right here. Well, after finally when I did get her down home, she just kept getting worse, worse, worse all the time. Dr. Dare came back to give her nematoric treatments. They done everything that could be done. She kept getting worse. I prayed and cried and begged with all my heart. It looked like he was black before me as he could be. Finally, they take her out to the hospital. They sent a doctor from Louisville. He come over and looked at her. He said, no. Dr. Miller from the TV sanitarium, and he said, there's nothing to be done for a reverend, but she's going to die. So I said, just might as well make ready for her to die. He said, because it's done in both lungs, and just got such a hold of her, there's no hopes of saving her. What was I going to do? Oh, my. All the time, I could hear that ring in my ears, like, oh, you give the opportunity, you wouldn't go like that. You reap what you sow every time. And I remember, I went ahead trying to work, trying to get things uh, so we could eat and I could pay my bills. And I was working one day, uh, uh, getting worse all the time she was, and I heard her come in and said for me to report at once at the hospital where my wife was dying. And I never will forget, I took off my hat, took off my coat, laid it down. I said, oh, God, have mercy on me and let me speak to her again before she goes. And I turned the car out of the... Uh, close to Henryville, Indiana, I under what I mean, and down the road I came, rushed to the hospital, jumped out of the car and run up the steps real quick, going into the hospital. And as I went in, I seen little doctor there coming down the hall with his head down. He looked at me like that. Tears broke through and he turned his face and started running and motion to me. And I went up to him, I put my arm around him, I said, Doc, look, Sam, come in. What's wrong? And he said, I believe she's gone. I said, surely not. I said, go with me, Doc. He said, Billy, how could I go in there? So the girl took me a minute dinner. She was like my sister. said, how could I go in there? He said, I don't want to see her no more. He said, you stay out here. I said, I'm going to see her. He said, don't go in there, Bill. I said, yeah, I'm going. He said, here, call one of the nurses. You go with me. She had a little red medicine or something there. Little thing said, take this. I said, I don't need that. I walked in. I said, I want to go alone. I pulled the door behind me. I looked over there. She had real dark eyes, black hair, German girl. She's all doubled up like this. I looked down upon her. She just was still. I put my hand on her forehead. She's real sticky. She looked like she had any line. I put my hand over her head and I said, Oh, God, please. I said, That's my baby's mother. Let me tell her goodbye. Will you do it, Lord? Let me tell her goodbye. I don't want her to go without telling her goodbye. Will you help me, dear God, and your forgiveness in your great heart? Will you just let me say goodbye to her? Her head moved. I looked down. If I live a hundred years, I'll never forget those big, dark eyes looked at me. She couldn't talk. She motioned her finger. I, I got down. She said, why did you call me? 
while I'm getting ready. And I went out again. I was going down the street. I don't know if there's any clothes for women that know any clothes. I was going down the street. Stand there with the big pillar. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then coming by, 
I said, scream my name as loud as you can. Bill, Bill. I said, I'll gather the children together. Now I'll meet you at the gate. She said, I'll meet you, honey. And I kissed her. That was my last date with my wife. And brother and sister are coming up like it. We're tired. But I'm going to keep that appointment. One day I'm going to meet her. I walked out of the building and went home. Oh, my, my heart breaking. I couldn't stand it. Mother won't be coming to her house. I couldn't do it. I went over that night. I was going around the house. I went into the room, laid down. I shut the door. When I shoved it, I laid on the cot. I shoved my foot, shoved it together. And when I did, there was a coat hanging on the back of the door. I, I was all over again. Just then, somebody knocked the door and said, Billy, and I said, yes. But I got some bad news today. I said, well, I was right there when she died. She said, that's not all of it. Your baby's dying, too. I said, no. Yes. Said, doctor there, just let me say, I'll let you come to the hospital. It's dying now. It's too birth for a minute dying. I couldn't stand it no longer. They got, I got a two men sitting in an old truck. We went out there to the hospital. And I went in, doctor, you can't go in there. I said, yes, I can. No, you can't, said Billy. You got to think about Billy Paul. Said he, she's got meningitis. She's contracted that from her mother. And said, if you go in there, you might take it to your boy. I said, I, I must go. He said, you can't. So he set me down in the room. As soon as he got away, I slipped in anyhow. I went down there to the little hospital. And there, when I walked into the room, I'll never forget. There laid my little eight-month-old darling, little Sherry. Laying there, just suffering so hard. Her little leg was moving up and down like that. It looked like her little hand was waving at me goodbye. I looked at her, she just suffering so hard. I said, Sherry, you know your daddy, honey. I shoot the flies out of her eyes. And when she looked at me, she was suffering so hard that one of those little baby blue eyes had crossed. I never could stand to see a cross-eyed child, man. I've never seen one pass the platform, but what was he doing? You know, sometimes it takes a crush in the brain for the fragments, is that right? I've seen 400 and something cross-eyed children healed in six months. Oh, when I see a cross-eyed child, I think of my little Sherry laying there. She's suffering so hard, and she looked at me, her eyes crossed, her little hands tied away back in. And I said, no, Daddy, I mean, the little lips trying to speak to me like it was goo to me, and it was quivering. She was dying. I put my hand over her, and I said, oh, God, please, God, don't take her. You took my wife, you took my daddy, you took, oh, God, isn't there forgiveness in your great heart? I said, please, dear God, please spare my baby. I put my hand down down there, I said, won't you do it, Lord? Looked up, looked like a black sheet began to unfold, coming down. Oh, I know she was gone. 
course, he's laying that on. And one day, Daddy will see you again. I step back, every bone in to see my what the pieces I shrunk in the floor. The angels of God come down and pack her little soul to be with her mother. She went to meet Mother. Tucked her little helpless body in the arms of her dear mother. We went out there to the grave to bury him. Reverend Smith in the Methodist Church walked up there and took a handful of dirt. Said ashes to ashes and dust to dust and earth. Them old clods began to beat on top of that casket as it went out of the grave. I raised up, I couldn't stand it. Way back up on the side of the hill with some big cedar trees. I heard the wind whistling through there. It seemed like a song that there's a land beyond the river that they call the sweet forever, and we only reach that shore by faith degrees. One by one they gave the portal there to dwell with the immortal. Someday they'll ring those golden bells to you and Last Easter year ago, her old son there, Billy and I, we go to the grave and early in the morning. I had a little bundle of flowers under his arms. I said, let's go visit Mama's grave. We were going along there with the flowers. Coming day, I took off my hat. The little fellow took off his hat. I heard chuckle. I said, don't cry, sonny. I put my around We set it down over the side of the grave. I ran over here late. Oh, Amelia Branham and darling daughter for sharing her own. I said, sweetheart, we're really we're freezing. We're kneeling here, Billy. In Jerusalem, there's an empty grave this morning. That's right. Your mother died and him who rose again. I said, someday we'll see Mama and Sissy again in a better land. After my life lived better, I went home. I tried to go to work. I had thousands of dollars in debt and frankly on that bill just recently got out of it. My father died, no insurance, we couldn't afford insurance and nothing, and there he was. By the way, I'm not an insurance person. My insurance, one guy come to me the other day said, I want to sell you some insurance. And I said, I, listen, don't talk to me about that. I said, I have insurance. He said, oh, you have insurance. I said, yes, sir. He said, what is it? I said, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. He said, that'll I put you in a grave up here. I said, I'm not worried about getting in there. That'll bring me out. I said, I'm worried about coming out, not going in. I said, that's right. I ain't got nothing against insurance. It's all right, you see. That's all right for some people's insurance poor. That's right. But I'll tell you, insurance, you collect on it right now. Just now, the Holy Spirit of God is right. The assurance of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and we'll come out again. Then, when I was there, Pain almost dead one morning. I remember getting up on a post. I was working for an electrical company, trying a public service company in Indiana. I was working real early one morning. I was taking down some taps. I was thinking, on the hill far away, there's an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. In other words, the sun coming up, shining against the telephone pole or the electric pole in that cross arm, looked like the picture of someone hanging on the cross, wiggling out there on the hill with shadow. I said, yes. It was my sin that put him there. It was my disobedience that put him there. He died for me. I become so, I, I could see my wife going, but I couldn't see that baby going. I just couldn't do it. And I said, oh God, why did you take that precious little thing from me? Here I am left alone in the world, me and the boy, to wander around together. 
pulled off her rubber glove. There were like 2,300 running out of me. Break every bone in your body. I said, I'm crazy. I pulled my glove. I said, Sherry, Daddy's coming to see you. I can't stay away from you any longer. I said, God, I hate to be a coward. But I can't stand it. My heart's been breaking. I can't stand it. The next thing I knew, I was sitting on the ground. How I ever got out from there, God only knows. Now I believe that that gift hadn't been foreordained and put in there. I'd have been gone right there because I made up my mind I was going to take my life as a suicide case. I lost my mind. I was gone crazy. And I got, went home. I said, oh, I put my tools in the car. I said, I'm going home. I'm gone crazy. And I went home and stayed with Mama that day. And that night I was going around the house. And I picked up the nail. And as soon as I went in, I was it back in the little old room there, a little old fireplace. I mean, a little old stove sitting there, a little old cop. I stayed right there at the home. It wasn't, I didn't want to go nowhere else. There wasn't very much there, that old furniture, but she and I lived together with it. It was ours, it was a whole lot. That's right. It ain't the value of anything the way you look at it. That's right. And I thought we'd live together here in Twitter. She loved it. She kept it clean. I want to stay right here with it till I die, too. And I was staying there. And I come in the night and I looked around her things and I was laid down. That night when I come in, I looked at these letters. And the first one I had was said, Miss Sharon Rose Branham. Early Christmas Day, the 80 cents. And I looked at her, oh God. I nailed out the floor. I said, Oh God, I can't stand it. I'm going to die. Son, please forgive me when you always call it me, Lord. Please have mercy on my poor sinful soul. I said, don't let me be. I'm driving myself wild here. I said, I can't stand it losing my baby and all I got. I said, it's just agony day and night. And I was praying. I got real sleepy. A haze come up on me. I went to sleep. I dreamed that I was out west and I was walking down to the side of the or prairie as it used to be. I seen an old prairie schooner. The wheel was broken. I lay down sideways and I was singing that song or whistling. But we on the wagon is broken. Of course, that's our broken family, you see. <laughs> and it won't run no more. And I was whistling like that. We on the wagon is broken. Going along. And I stepped out from the side of that wagon. It was the most beautiful, blonde-headed girl I ever seen. She's dressed in snowy white. Her pretty little blue eyes are shining. Her blonde hair. She said, hello, Dad. I tip my head up, I said, I do, miss. And she said, hello, Dad. I said, Dad, I beg your pardon. She smiled. I said, she said, well, don't you know me? I said, well, lady, you're as old as I am. How can I be your father? She said, don't you know you're teaching Dad? You teach him mortality. See, I don't believe there'll be little babies in heaven. If they're resurrected little babies, they'll always be little babies. If they're real old people that resurrect, going to pain or crutch, to be that way, immortality don't grow. We'll be one age, one thing forever. We'll be at one age, I believe, with all my heart, about the age of Jesus. I know this might be a thought, but I don't, I don't, immortality, if it's resurrected, a little baby that big, it'll always be that way. I believe we'll be one age. I'll be no older or young. We'll be just in that middle age right there forever. I'll be man and women, like God, when he didn't tell Eve she was a little bit of things rolled up, or Adam, he just made them in his own image, and that's what he'll do again. A full-grown statue of people. And she said, don't you remember your teaching of immortality? And I said, oh, who are you? And she said, down on earth, I was your little chair. I said, Sherry, that's not you, honey. She said, yes, it is, Daddy. She said, where's Billy Paul, my brother? I said, well, honey, I don't understand. She said, 
Mother's looking for you. Now, the words Mother had, she said, Look at your home, your new home. I said, My home? I said, Honey, I, 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 I never had a home. I said, Brandon's going to have a home. She said, But, Dad, you got one here. And I turned to look, and there was a great mansion, glory of God coming up. I said, is that her? She said, yeah, Mother's up there waiting for you. I said, all right. She said, I'm going to wait for Billy. I'll stay right here. I'll be up there. I said, Mother wants to see you. I took all this hard as I could running. When I got up there, I started running up the big steps like that. And I was coming walking out over the steps. Here she comes. And all of her beauty, white robe on, dark hair hanging down her arms, reaching out. I run to her and grabbed her hands and knelt down. I said, oh, oh, honey. I said, I can't stand it no longer. I'm just about to go wild. Since you've left, she said, I've seen all of my hometown. She said, promise me something. I said, what? She said, promise me you won't worry no more. I said, I've seen Sherry, honey. Didn't our girl make a beautiful woman? I said, yes. Yeah. She's waiting for Billy, isn't she? And I said, yes. Yeah. She said, promise me you won't worry. Well, yes, that Sharon and I are better off than you. Well, honey, she said, just promise me you won't worry. And I said, all right, I won't worry no more. And she I raised up like this and looked around. And she said, will you sit down? And I looked at the great big chair sitting there. And I looked at that chair and I looked back at her. She said, I don't know what you're thinking. And here's what it was. I was a preaching. I would have had them just an old hickory bottom chair. We was living in our house. Uh, I'd preach, pass the night, work all day long with an air hammer, pick and shovel. I'd come in at night and I wanted to buy one of them chairs. And, you know, Mars chairs, you call them whatever it is, you know, lounge chairs. And I wanted to buy one that was for sale in for $15.95. And I used to pay a dollar down and a dollar a week to pay for it. And I got one and moved it into the house. And my, I'd sit there at night and just relax when I come in and study the Bible so I go to sleep. And one day, while I come in, and I got a deal, and I couldn't make the payment that week. The next week passed, I couldn't make the payment, and they sent me to come get my chair. And so I, I just couldn't make the payment. I just couldn't do it. So I told I said, you call them up and tell them to come get it, honey. And so I remember coming in that evening. She baked me a cherry pie. I love cherry pie so well. And I went in. She'd had some of the boys that did some fishing worms, so I could go fishing and study. Now, she was a real girl. And so she sat out there and we kind of eat supper. I think she's extremely happy or seemed to be a putt on something. She had a big cherry pie. And I was eating afterwards. I kind of petitioned something. So I said, let's go in the front room. She said, oh, let's go fishing first down the river. I said, no, let's go in the front room. And she put her arm around me. When I walked in the room, the chair was gone. She started crying. She put her head over my shoulder. She said, I'm sorry, honey, I tried everything to borrow $2 even. She said, I couldn't do it. We paid about $10 on it. And said, I couldn't do it. We just had to let it go. And then she looked at me and she said, you think of that? And I said, yeah. She said, but sweetheart, there'll never be nobody coming to get this one. It's already paid for. It's all to you. And you're just so tired. You've been preaching and praying for the sick. I, I wasn't praying for the sick then, so I know that sometimes my going will probably be to the platform praying for the sick. That's been the thing that helped me get up. She said, but you'll never come take this. She said, it's 
sitting here, little dark eyes, looking up full of tears. The Bible said a little child shall lead them. The grandmother, God bless you, mother. Good old mother with the scarf around her head. They're coming. Won't you come? All of us together now, the same.
I stood by a Christian not long ago, old daddy Hayes, and white flowing beards and raised by hands. But a happy day since Jesus washed my sins away. I've seen him go in all kinds of conditions, and you're going to go in some conditions. And there will be many, many of you will have to meet that before a year from today. Maybe all of you for all I know. But you know you've got to. Won't you come here now? Christian, over to my right, in here, wonderful outside, anybody hasn't been born again? How many is born again? Then raise your hand. That's wonderful. Well, then look at your friend. Here is the cream. There's not one sinner left in the building. Here's the sinners that's standing here today pleading for mercy. Ministers of the gospel, you come here. Come right around where these people are standing right along them. Look, I want you to be just stand where you are for a few moments. Come. Y'all horrible needs now and accept him just now. Ministers of the gospel, mingle right among the people here. Let some good Christians from this side drop out of here, if you will. God bless you, Dad. Many weary days have passed by. Now I'm coming home. God bless you, Dad. Dear old father, stand here shaking my hand another one. Let's bow our heads everywhere. Accept him now. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as they have seen him dying under for you. All Christians praying everywhere, heads bowed. Very sacred moment. Come right on up, young man. That's right. Join right in with them. Bow your head. See mid-rendering rocks and darkening skies. My Savior bowed his head dies. Accept him now as your Savior. He promised if he comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Young people, life is before you. Oh, everyone bowed. Heavenly Father, today these dear people have gathered up here to the altar. No sawdust trail tent gathered up here by the wooden bench to give their life to thee. Oh, God, in the mercies of Christ and by his merits they come, not in themselves, but in the grace of Christ they come, trusting only in him, knowing that someday death's going to come into the room. One morning the doctor will probably leave the room saying that nothing else can be done. Loved ones will be standing wringing their hands, crying, the cold vapors of death floating over the bedside, cold, chilly winds of death sweeping their pulse, cutting up their sleeve. Then breaking through the mist from the old ship of Zion, the morning star will come down in the valley of death to light up the road. They'll see two glossy wings of the Holy Spirit reach across Jordan. Come, you blessed of my Father. I've seen you that day in the little old tent meeting down there in Cleveland. When you 
come accepting me now. I'm accepting you. Granted, Father, just now, may your spirit woo each one of them, knowing nothing they can do but just accept thee now. To believe on the Lord with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. Ye shall be saved. Granted, Father, with your head bowed, just in prayer, everybody. Accept me now, ministers, while you're in there, moving every Christian brain. Just keep us brain. Father, bless this people. May your spirit move up on them just now. May they accept you as their Savior. I think you're